You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. And welcome to our Jewish Matters podcast. Tonight we're going to be talking in our ex, uh, Extraordinary Jewish Personalities series. We're talking about Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, uh, known as the singing rabbi, but he was so much, so much more. And this podcast is going to be different for me because of all the personalities we're talking about. Uh, I knew Rib Shlomo, I was around him, and I'll be able to share with you some of those stories. And because I knew him, somehow, all of the rest of it jumps out and becomes so much more real. Also, he was on the Upper West Side, where I grew up and was a rabbi. And so, uh, we're going to embark on a journey, which was Rib Shlomo's life. And what an unbelievable, amazing journey it was. Now, and... Also, we have to say that uh, the way Rav Shlomo's music has touched all of us, has spread throughout the Jewish world, the Karlbach Minyamun, which just grew and grew after he passed away, are all a tribute to who he was. Some of what I'm sharing with you comes from two books. One is uh, Holy Brother by Yitta Halberstam Mandelbaum, and I highly, highly recommend it. Incredible stories of Rav Shlomo. The other one is Shlomo Kalbach, Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, Life, Mission, and Legacy by Nathan Ophir, which is kind of a history, documented history of all the events in Rabbi Shlomo's life. So the place to start, I don't, it's so overwhelming to know where to start, but I'd like to start with some of the stories about his chesed, about his givingness and about his selflessness. And... It starts in Lakewood Yeshiva, where he was a student in the 1940s, before he was known as the hippie rabbi on the streets of the Upper West Side of Manhattan, known to all the beggars, the holy begaloch, he called them. So um, he was in the yeshiva, and the yeshiva would attract some down-and-outers. And a guy walked in one Friday and was obviously very... Uh, poor and also uh, just kind of out of it, you know, uh, clearly had mental health issues. And most of the yeshiva students would shy away from that kind of person. Rav Shlomo went up to him, said, welcome, let me take care of you, brought him up to his room. And one of the reasons everyone stayed away is because the guy smelled. So whether Rav Shlomo just overlooked it, didn't even notice it, brings him up to his room, guy takes a shower, and then he sees that the rags he was wearing is what smelled. And he looks at his Shabbos suit and he looks at the guy and he dresses the guy in his Shabbos clothes and Rosh Shlomo spent Shabbos in his weekday clothes. So we already see in his teens, early 20s, this trait of chesed, of givingness. And he was known on the Upper West Side, all of the street people around that area, and if you knew the Upper West Side in the 70s and 80s, I grew up there, uh, there were many of them. So one scene, there was a tumult, there was a big crowd, and someone from the synagogue saw all the street people congregating around Shlomo, and he would just give out $10 bills. And finally he'd given them all out, and there's one other guy, Shlomo, don't you have a $10 bill for me? So he walks up to this guy, says, holy brother, can you lend me $10? Gets the $10 with a big smile, gives it to this guy. The other ritual was that he would bring the, these people at one, two in the morning, Friday night, after the Shabbat dinner was done, he'd bring them into the synagogue, upstairs to his apartment, take out all the Shabbat leftovers from the synagogue, and free feed everyone. After he passed away, uh, there were people who said how they were on Rav Shlomo's payroll. Thursday night, they would come to him, and these mostly were non-Jews. They would come to him up to his apartment, and he would welcome them, give them something to drink or eat, and then he would just close his eyes, put his hands into his pockets, and pull out whatever was in there. And the guy said sometimes it would be five, ten dollars, sometimes it was hundreds. And Rav Shlomo was known, all the money he made on concerts, and he did hundreds of concerts a year, uh, and made thousands and thousands of dollars, he gave it all away. And <laughs> The people he played with said uh, when he would play, he would jump up and down playing his guitar, especially in his younger years, and they'd hear all the change jingling around 
from the money that he would give out to people and also the phone calls he would make. So, um, and we'll talk about that in a sec. Now, there's something really special about Shlomo's chesed, about his giving, his charitable, his, uh, how charitable he was. And I heard Rabbi Meir Fund, who was close to him, give a hesped, talk about Rav Shlomo after he passed away. And he said, I never saw Shlomo get mad, except for one setting. He said, there were some missionaries who tried to infiltrate one of his learning sessions. And he said he was furious, and he yelled at them and kicked them out. And he said this, he said, you have to, we have to remember that Rav Shlomo came from a Yeke, a German background, German-Jewish background, who tend to be more kind of by the rule, by the law, um, more rigorous, more exacting. And he said he did have that in him, but he worked on himself so much that he became pure loving and pure givingness and pure generosity. So uh, he did have the pot, that, that, that ability in him. One story was that one of his, uh, there were people who were uh, against him, who spoke out against him. And in one city, he was, had a concert planned. They get to the venue, locked up. So he understood what had happened. This rabbi who always made a tumult about him had shut it down. They had to move to another space. And then this guy said, you know, this rabbi, he's got a hard life. He's got 13 kids. He's destitute, doesn't have money. And all of a sudden, Roshlomo says, he doesn't have money. We have, we have to do something. So before he started the concert, that he had to do it another location because he got kicked out of the first one, he, uh, sent to, he said, we're gonna, he announced, we're going to send around a, a, a cup and we're collecting for a large family that doesn't have any money. And this was also uh, one of Rav Shlomo's unbelievable characteristics, characteristics of a tzaddik, that even the people who were against him, he would help if they were in need. Extraordinary. So the other theme of stories, and there are themes, the other theme of stories is how he cared about every individual, and particularly people, those who were sick. One story, uh, there was a boy from Prospect Park Day School who developed uh, an anti-immune disease and was very debilitated. And his music teacher was in touch with him, and he couldn't find a Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach album that had just come out. So the teacher called Rabbi Shlomo, and he said, you know, sure, I have the album, I can get it to you. Why are you calling? And she said, because I have a student who's sick, who's homebound, who really would like it. He said, give me his address. And sure enough, the next day, he shows up at the boy's house with his guitar and with the album and played for him. And there are many such stories. In one, uh, there's a doctor who knew him, who was the head of Maimonides, uh, one of the departments. And it was late o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. He gets a call from his department. This nurse, who is very by the book and very conscientious, calls him and saying, Doctor, there, there, there's a hippie in this page, Rosenberg's room, and it's 11 o'clock at night, and he won't leave, and I don't know what to do. So... He said, can you tell me more? Well, he's got a guitar and he's playing music. And the doctor said, I'll be there in, the, in a couple of minutes. He suspected it was Rabbi Shlomo. And he shows up and sure enough, there's Shlomo playing for this person in the hospital. And the nurse says to me, says, doctor, it's a very strange thing. Every time I would go to kick him out, to grab him, to pull him out of the room, I couldn't move. There was something about his aura that stopped me. This is what the African-American nurse said, and she said he's something very spiritual about this man. So, Shlomo's caring for each and every person. One story, there was one of his chevra, and we're going to hear a lot about the holy chevra, Fegla, and she went with Shlomo. He said, Fegla, can you drive me to Cherry Hill and back? I've got an important uh, performance to do. So she says, of course, you know, and it really took the whole day. Sherry Hill, about two hours from New York each way, if you run into traffic. And they get there. And it's a school for special children. And there were six children there. And Fega was upset. 
She said, Shlomo, you're a world-class performer. You don't have time for this. What are you doing here? And he said, if there's one soul I can touch, then of course it's worth it. And this is how he lived. And so he collected souls, collected lost souls. Um, there was a woman who was going through a divorce and she, he'd been helping her. Shlomo moved, was going to Israel on a trip. And she said, Shlomo, what am I going to do now? You know, I, I need you. So he said to her, don't worry, I'll be there for you, we'll be in touch. And every single day on his two weeks in Israel, he would call her back then, long distance phone calls, not simple. Um, a woman who I knew personally, who was starting on her path to Judaism, and he would get, she would get calls three, four in the morning. The phone would ring. Uh, this is Shlomo Kalbach. I wanted to call and see how you are, touch base. Where are you? I'm in the airport in London. And so any opportunity he would take, he would reach out, he would call, he would touch souls. Um, so you also see his caring for every person. He has his signature of being late for uh, every event. Uh, the wedding that I went to uh, in Moshe Marmodin. I uh, was called for eight o'clock, called for six, seven o'clock. Eight o'clock, he comes in with his entourage, starts playing. Four hours later of stories about the Chatan, stories about the Kala, uh, Hasidic stories, playing songs. Four hours later, all of a sudden he stops and he said, friends, the time has come. And he starts to play Kivo Moed, the Chuppah at midnight. At five in the morning, the bus went back to Jerusalem. That was Shlomo. He was above time. And we'll hear about that theme for Shlomo as well. So, caring for each and every person. This story is uh, from a rabbi who I know personally, and he verified it. Uh, the story is that he had a musician booked to play to play a concert right after the period of three weeks when you can't listen to music, and the performer had to cancel. So he's talking with the people in the synagogue. They say, why don't you get Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach? So he thought, you know, yeah, that'd be very nice, but, you know, he's, I'm sure he's booked. So they say, try him. So he calls him up, and Shlomo says, wow, what a gavalt that you called. I just got a cancellation from my tuba of concert. Sure, I'd love to come to Buffalo. So, and then Rav Shlomo says, you know, um, but, you know, maybe we can talk a little about uh, what, the, you know, the terms, the Parnassa. And the rabbi says, you know, Shlomo, I'm sorry. I, you know, my budget for this performer was $500. You know, it's not. Shlomo says, uh, I usually get thousands of dollars for a concert. So the rabbi said this. He said, look. Whatever we take in at the door, I'll, I'll guarantee at least this much. Whatever we take in at the door, it's yours. And Shlomo said, fine, we have a deal. So the concert comes around, halfway through the concert, uh, sorry, before the concert, Shlomo comes in, of course a little late, goes up to every person, holy brother, holy sister, hugs, talks to people, and he sees someone's very distressed. And he says, what's wrong, brother? And he says, I've got problems. I've got shalom bias problems. I've got problems in our marriage. And he said, what's the problem? He said, well, we're recently married and recently Baal Tshuva. We're keeping Shabbat and I got fired. I lost my job. It's calling, causing a lot of strain in our marriage. And he said, come up and see me after the concert. So after the concert, the rabbi comes over with an envelope and said, Shlomo, we took in $2,300 for the concert. And Rav Shlomo has a big smile on his face. Okay, thank you, you know, appreciate it and everything. And uh, he takes the envelope, he turns around and turns to this couple. And the rabbi lingered a little bit to see what was going on. And he saw him hug, uh, hug him and say, you know, give him the entire envelope and say, here, I hope this helps you out. This should help you get through this hard period. And this story, these stories were repeated over and over, which Shlomo would take the proceeds in another story in uh, 1963. He, or he made $3,000 on a concert in Israel, took the money, hired a truck, it was Purim time, 
went around to stores, bought out their stock, and spent the entire day going to poor people's homes, distributing all of the food from those earnings. So this was who Shlomo was. He was with the people. He was an unconventional rabbi. He sat at the back of the synagogue so he could greet people as they walked in. Another signature of Shlomo are the stories of uh, what I would call divine problems, of hashkacha pratit. One of them, Shlomo went to an ecumenical conference. Uh, this was in... Um, sorry, I don't have the date for you. But he went to an ecumenical conference in Boston. And the assistant bishop who was running uh, the conference uh, made a connection with Shlomo. And one night Shlomo decided to tell the, the Yosela the miser story. Now one of the Shlomo's greatnesses was his storytelling, unparalleled storytelling, the way he touched the heart. And he would always say, friends, open up your heart. I don't have time to tell the Yosela the miser story here. But he told the story. The next night, this assistant bishop comes up to him and says, Rabbi Shlomo, can you tell the story of Yosela the miser again, please? Thought it was a strange request, but he told the story again. If you Google Shlomo Yosela the miser, you'll find the story. The third night, Shlomo, can you tell the story again? And he, now he thought it was really strange, but what, he's going to say no? So he tells the story again. He tells the guy, you sure? You know, people might be already heard it. And said, no, I need it. So after he tells the story, the bishop comes up to him and says, I have to tell you what's going on. Thank you for doing this. He said, my mother passed away a few months ago, and on her deathbed, she told me that I am Jewish. My origins are Jewish. She was a concentration camp survivor. My father was a soldier in the army, in the American army, and they fell in love. And my father asked that she renounce her Judaism if they were to marry, which she did. And on her deathbed, she said, I can't leave this world in good conscience without telling you. And so she said also, she said, you should know that you are a descendant of Yosela the miser. So I said to God, I said, God, Give me a sign. Show me the story of Yesela the miser. This was probably before Google. And I will explore my Jewish background. So Rav Shlomo, when you told the story, it wasn't coincidence. It wasn't, didn't just happen. And that's why I need to hear it again and again. And they sat up all night talking. Rav Shlomo said to him, it's probably best you just disappear. And he decided to go to Jerusalem. Five years later, Shlomo gets a letter saying, I just want you to know that I'm married, living in Jerusalem, living in an Orthodox Jew with peyot, with side curls, and part of the religious Jewish community and fulfilled in my new religious life. And this isn't the only story like this one. So uh, another story of Shlomo's divine providence, and this goes a level beyond of Shlomo being connected. So this story is that Rosh Hashanah, he's leading Rosh Hashanah tefillah, the prayer services. And all of a sudden, and when Rav Shlomo led Yomim Naraim, what an unbelievable experience. My experience, I had to be at my own synagogue. I was assistant rabbi at Westside Institutional Synagogue, uh, which was a few blocks away and was kind of Shlomo's second shul. I'll tell you about that. But um, after Yom Kippur, he used to do many of his concerts at Westside Institutional. After Yom Kippur, the year before he died, so he was by then 65 years old, after leading services for all of Yom Kippur and fasting for 25 hours, he came a little later and he gave a two-hour concert after Yom Kippur. Unbelievable. The energy that he ran on was spiritual energy. So he's, he's Rosh Hashanah, he's leading services, and all of a sudden he just gets down from the bima, walks out of the shul in the middle of the service, and everyone's dumbfounded. 
someone follows him out, and he's standing there in front of the shul, waiting. A woman walks by, and he says, Happy Rosh Hashanah! And she's startled. She says, How did you know I was Jewish? I just wanted to wish you. And she says, Actually, uh, this is my first Rosh Hashanah, and I've been to four synagogues, and I'm so disappointed. I just didn't, didn't touch me. And he talked to her for a little bit, asked, suggested she come in. She came in. He sat her next to a woman who would show her the page and be there to support her. And today this woman is leading a Jewish, fully Jewish life. So how did Shlomo know? And Shlomo is one of Shlomo's, uh, I wouldn't say trademarks or lines. One of his sole expressions was, you never know. You never know. Okay, let me go through his life a little bit because um, it's just so extraordinary. Rishlomo came from a prominent rabbinic family in Germany. And he, uh, his family fled before the war in the 1930s. And, but the Holocaust would haunt his generation and his life and be a big theme in his life. In the 1980s, he did a musical tour of Poland, which was controversial, and there are people who spoke out against it. And his answer was, you answer hatred with love. That was his answer. And he did a 10-day tour, eight concerts in Poland. So he came to the States, grew up on the Upper West Side, where his father became a rabbi. And he... uh, he, at a young age, was a Talmudic prodigy, was a brilliant scholar, and went to the Lakewood Yeshiva, which today is considered the Harvard, Yale, and uh, Princeton of yeshivas. 6,000 students. Back then, there were a few dozen students, and he was very close to the Rosh Yeshiva. Rabbi Aaron Cutler and was considered to be one of the rising stars. But a few years later, in 1949, he, uh, in the mid-40s, sorry, he made a change. He went to Lubavitch Rishiva. And when they asked him, you know, why did you change? Why did you go to Lubavitch? He said, in Lakewood, I would learn how to grow and change myself. At Lubavitch, I'll learn how to change the world. And this was the previous Rebbe. And in 1949, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitch Rebbe, the Freder Rebbe, sent him and uh, Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shlomi out to the campuses. They were the first college shluchim envoys and perhaps the first two outreach workers, Jewish outreach workers in the United States. And the story is that they went to, uh, to Brandeis, which was a Jewish college, and there was a Hanukkah party. So they crashed the Hanukkah party and brought some tefillin along, their guitars, and uh, I think Reb Zalman played the flute. So the, the music slows down. It changes. He starts teaching, starts playing. This is all going on. He said, Rishlama said, they knew they were successful when the president banned them from the campus after this. And they were till three in the morning, they were playing. Now, when they came in, the steps were uh, starting to ice over. And by the time they'd finished, they were icy and slippery. So one of the students said, why don't you go out, you know, the other door, Shlomo? It's dangerous there. And for some reason, he, they just went down, the, out that door, down the stairs, and nothing happened. They said, you know, how, didn't, how was that? He said, well, when you hold on up high, you're safe down here. So that was their first foray into outreach. In 1953, uh, the Rebbe insisted that he get smicha, that he get a rabbinic ordination. By then, he was learning also at the Chaim Berlin Yeshiva, extremely prestigious yeshiva. And the head of the yeshiva uh, called him in, gave him tests on the rabbinic tests, and of course, which he passed, and conferred smicha upon him. And uh, in 1955, Rav Shlomo had uh, a type of parting with Chabad. Uh, because he was teaching to men and women sitting together. 
and doing concerts with a mixed audience. And the concerts, the Rebbe said, have to be separate. So when he came to the Rebbe and he felt like, you know, if I do this, people aren't going to come, it's not working. The Rebbe said, we are who we are. He said, I'm not I can't tell you to do it, but I won't tell you not to. And, you know, you need to go, if you need to go do what you need to go do, then uh, so be it. And so that's when Rev Shlomo went out on his own, and he felt really kind of in between. He wasn't at Lakewood, he wasn't at Lubavitch, but he became his own. So in the 50s, mid-50s, he started to learn the guitar. Before that, it had been the piano. And it's very interesting that his first guitar teacher was a flamenco guitar teacher. Now, Rav Shlomo said that, um, by the way, I'm not a big music maven, although I love his music, and, um, and go every Friday night to the Kalbach Minion. But um, so uh, someone who was close to him said, Rav Shlomo said he didn't listen to non-Jewish music. Now, his first guitar teacher was flamenco, taught flamenco, but she actually told him, she was Jewish, and she said that the traditions are that the flamenco guitar goes back to some of the uh, Svarad Jews, and there's an early flamenco piece written by a Ruvain ben Moshe. So could it be? You never know. Also, and this was uh, said by Rabbi Avraham Tversky, that we used to have the tunes from the Beit HaMikdash from the temple. And that we've lost them, but he said, Rav Shlomo, you're bringing back the original tunes from the Beit HaMikdash. There's a belief that some of the high holiday tunes are, but this is what Rabbi Tversky said. So, by the late 50s, uh, he's a rabbi in a small synagogue near Atlantic Beach, and he starts to play at Atlantic Beach where there were kosher hotels. He meets Nina Simon and uh, in the play and the soon to come out movie Soul Doctor, it talks about his uh, connection to Nina Simon, who was also an up-and-coming artist, and it seemed that they encouraged each other to launch their careers. So he started to hang out and then to play in Greenwich Village. And there he connected and was friendly with some of the greatest folk singers of the late 50s, particularly Pete Seeger, who was known for his storytelling and is getting people to sing along, um, and also to his, for his pro-Israel views, interestingly, later in his life, uh, close to uh, Bob Dylan. He knew Bob Dylan and Peter Jarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. And these are the kind of people he's playing with. So... In the 1950s, he also starts to play in the Catskills. And here's something to be said, which is that before Shlomo in the 1960s connected with the Holy Hippolach, he had an enormous impact in the mainstream Orthodox community. And people who went to day school, were in yeshiva, who felt like their spirituality was kind of in the doldrums, were, weren't inspired would go here of Shlomo and would be touched and would be inspired and would be revived in their spirituality. This is what the people themselves said. 1959, he comes out with his first record, Han Neshamalach. 1963, 61, he plays in a packed crowd in Town Hall in New York City to thousands. And uh, Ophir in his book said this was a watershed for him because his father had always had been skeptical and I guess, somewhat disappointed by his uh, unique rabbinate. And in a sense, this concert validated for him before his family, and he thanked his father and his parents for being there at this concert. It validated him that his path was one that they could be proud of. So in 1966, comes a big breakthrough. The story goes like this. Once again, one of these divine providence stories to canny to be coincidence. So the story is that there was a woman who felt like her daughter needed to be Jewishly inspired and had met Rav Shlomo and she said, oh, you know, I'd like to send your, um, your record to my daughter. I think it might touch her Jewishly and get her more connected. So he says, sure, he takes down her address 
and he mails the record with his business card. So the woman is playing the record in New York City. Her windows are open. It's in the summer. And all of a sudden, there's a banging on her door. And the guy says, I have to find out who is this musician? She said, why, why, what's going on? He said, I'm putting together the Berkeley Folk Fest, Music Festival uh, in a number of months. And I have, I wanted an international flavor and I got to get this guy to come play. So Shlomo gets invited to the Berkeley Music Festival and he played uh, in the lineup was uh, Pete Seeger again, Jefferson Airplane. It was a very significant, important event. And he, um, Friday afternoon, they had previews on the Berkeley campus to drum up interest for the Saturday night concert. So the musicians all have 10 minute playing or Shlomo starts to play and people start to gather. Tens, hundreds, hundreds of people. And he's playing, they're dancing, takes more than the 10 minutes. And before, when he arrived on Friday, he'd gone to the house of the Orthodox rabbi in town, Rabbi Saul Berman. And he said, introduced himself, asked him if he could join for Shabbat dinner with the family. And the rabbi said, sure, told his wife. And as Shlomo was walking away, he said, hey, by the way, would you mind if I brought some friends with me? Uh, and the rabbi said, sure, you know, of course, everyone's welcome. So after he's done playing 20 minutes, everyone more, more, more. So he announces, who wants to do Shabbos together with me? And of course, everyone uh, cheers. And he says, come, let's go. And he walks with the crowd of hundreds. Rabbi Berman said it was 400 people show up at his door. His wife goes over, around to the neighbors, gathers any food they can, cut it up, and the be-in continued. The next night, Saturday night, Rav Shlomo plays. Incredibly, uh, incredible reception that he gets, response. And once again, people don't want him to stop. And he says, he announces, anyone who wants to continue, follow me. So they follow him back to the hotel. And he goes to the, uh, to the front. He asks everyone to wait outside. He said, let me ask you something. Do you have any empty rooms in the hotel? And the guy says, yeah, on the top floor, you know, we've lots of empty rooms. He said, can I rent out the whole top floor? Weird request, but the bellboy says, sure. And he goes back outside. Come, holy chevra, we're going out to the top floor and we're all going to stay and learn. And they stayed up all night. Music, Torah, and um, Aryeh Cooperman, who had become very close to Shlomo, one of his holy chevra, was one of the ones who connected him that night. And he said, he changed my life forever. And these stories are not unique. In England, same story, gave a concert, area with almost no Jews. They wanted to continue, brought them back to the hotel, rented out more rooms. So, California, Berkeley, San Francisco in the 1960s was where it was happening. Haight-Ashbury. They, uh, there were, according to some estimates, 15,000 hippies descended upon San Francisco in the mid-60s. And Shlomo was there with him. He realized that so many of them were Jewish. So many of them were seeking spiritually, were searching, mostly in Eastern religions. And he realized that this was a moment, an opportunity. And so after spending some time in San Francisco, he tells Ari Cooperman, Ari Rabari, we have to open up a house. We have to start the house of love and prayer. He said, but we have no money. He said, it'll work out. We'll figure it out. So he goes to one of Shlomo's followers who actually was a Catholic. Uh, all sorts of people followed their Shlomo. And he, tells him what Shlomo wants, and he explains the dilemma, and this charismatic Catholic said, I'll give you my life savings. And Ari was like, wow, $350, which I guess at the time was a decent amount of money, but not what they thought they'd need. So he goes to the real estate broker, goes into the office, said, I need a big old house and dirt cheap rent. And the guy said, that's strange. Someone just put a house on the market 
there's an estate which hasn't closed and they want to rent it out in the meantime. It's kind of run down. How much does the rent? $300. And Arya starts to smile. He said, but, and then he's concerned, I need a $50 deposit. Once again, the uncanny uh, events coming together. So the House of Love and Prayer was formed and um, Shlomo actually uh, at this time was also still working with, still connected to Zalman Shachter Shlomi. And it's at this point that they started to take divergent paths. Rav Zalman experimented with psychedelics, like many in the 60s, and, um, and uh, eventually would go on to form the Jewish Renewal Movement. And Rav Shlomo uh, told his chevra, we're going to get off drugs and high on God. And famous song, Lord, Lord, take me high, take me higher and higher. Now, Rav Zalman is very interesting because uh, he is also part of what people call the neo-Hasidic resurgence in Americas. But Rav Zalman was even more than Shlomo, part of the uh, 1960s culture, part of the New Age movement. And he eventually went on to form what would be known as the Jewish Renewal Movement. The informality in synagogue, bringing in the guitar and music, um, talking spirituality, talking God, meditation, uh, mitzvot being cool, uh, Jewish ethnicity, peyot. Um, and if you think about it, what's so interesting is that in the last 20 years, the conservative movement has introduced more spirituality. The reform movement has introduced more ritual, more Hebrew word, more Hebrew, more mitzvot. And it's all converged to become this model of informality, spirituality, Jewish teaching, proud ethnicity, which really goes back to Rav Zalman, who started out as a Chabad Hasid and as Rav Shlomo's partner. And um, it was very interesting. But Rav Shlomo stayed in touch with them the whole time, and there was a lot overlap. Rav Shlomo would be an important impact on the Jewish renewal movement, but Rav Shlomo stayed within the, uh, within the uh, path of Torah and Halacha. Now, and more about that in a sec as well. Roshloma reached out to a lot of the New Age people through the Eastern religions, and he would go, he went to the Holy Man Jam, and many of the followers, many of the leaders of the Buddhist and Hindu movements in the United States were Jewish. Uh, Ram Das, one of the famous leaders whom Shlomo had a connection to, and I think he was reported to have said, if I'd met Rav Shlomo earlier in my life, my path might have been very different. And um, in the 1974 gathering in Berkeley, 11 of, the, of 11 holy men, 10 of them were Jewish. And uh, they also reiterated this idea that if I'd met Shlomo before, our paths might have been different. In 1972, Rav Shlomo gets married to Ne'ila, had two daughters, Nadara and Neshamala. Neshama, in her own right today, is a composer and performer and continues her father's legacy, but also with her own original music. And Rabbi Shlomo was very much about empowering women and empowering women teachers. He gave an informal, uh, not a smicha for uh, teaching and for spiritual counseling to women and for meditation and um, was very much part of that movement as well. But the synagogue always maintained a mechitza, separation between the men and women. And in synagogue services, Shlomo led the services. Um, it was men who led the services in his synagogue. So an adherence to Torah but with a certain flexibility. And um, so one of my stories with Rosh Shlomo, so as the assistant rabbi at Westside Institutional, as I mentioned, up the street, this is in the early 90s. And Rosh Shlomo would do the Purim concert there. 
he would do Simchat Torah, they would start doing the Hakafot, the dancing at Westside Institutional, and then go to Karlbach Synagogue. Uh, when he said uh, Kaddish for his brother, Rabbi Melech, who was the rabbi with him at the Karlbach Synagogue on 79th Street between West End and Riverside. He did it at Westside Institutional. So it was one of the Purim concerts, I believe. And, uh, sorry, it was a one-off concert. And Rishlomo was playing, and he calls his daughters up to sing, to, with him to play and sing with him. Now, in the Torah, there is a halachic uh, guideline about women, uh, men not hearing a woman's voice uh, singing live. And there are leniencies that some people have. But uh, so what happened was Rav Shlomo's leaning is, was singing with his daughters. And if there are three voices, there is a leniency to have three voices singing together. So I was there and uh, I hesitated, but I said, okay, there's a leniency here. And then all of a sudden Rav Shlomo said, now we're going to have Neshamalav sing uh, a solo. And at that point, I... I uh, realized, okay, I'm going to have to leave the synagogue. And then I said to myself, but I'm the rabbi of the synagogue. And uh, even in other settings, there are leniencies to align this, but I felt like in the synagogue itself, uh, this wasn't fitting. So I went up to Rishlomo, and I moved the mic away, and I said, Rishlomo, you know, love the concert going on, but we can't have Neshama singing on her own. And I saw him tense up and get upset. I wasn't going to pull the plug, so I turned around to walk out. And all of a sudden, everyone's motioning me to turn around. So I turn around, and there's Shlomo with a big smile on his face. And he calls me up and puts his arm around me and says, Holy Brothers, let me explain to you something. He said, there's the pnimiut, the inner sanctum of Torah. And that is keeping everything to the letter, and that is the strength that preserves the Torah for eternity. He said, but then... There's the Torah that reaches out. And he said, we have to reach out to our holy sisters and to make them feel wanted and to give them a setting to sing so they don't have to go sing in the clubs. And so that's why we do what we do. But in deference to the rabbi, we're going to continue singing together. So we found this middle place and the concert continued. And it was another example of what I was talking about before, of what Rabbi Meir Fun said, that Shlomo had this... Uh, strong side, this tough side in him, the side to push back. But he worked on himself so much. And here you also you see his first reaction, and then he let go of it and turned it around. Uh, that was Rosh Lama. In the 1970s, his followers started to look for a place from the House of Love and Prayer where they could form a communal uh, community in the country, a rural community, and naturally, they started to turn to Israel. And with the help of the Jewish agency, they identified Mavo Modin, a village between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem in a beautiful setting in the forest. And they changed the name to Maor Modin. And in 1977, the House of Love and Prayer closes and the Moshav is up and running. By the way, my third Shabbat that I ever had was at Modi'in, Rav Shlomo wasn't there that Shabbat, but being in the synagogue with the rainbow painted over the ark and the stars and blue sky and stars painted on the ceiling and the granola from the granola factory that was there and the warm hospitality of these clearly kind of neo-60 hippie friends that I developed, uh, I didn't come with a kippah, so uh, our host uh, gave me this big uh, rainbow, multicolored kippah, crocheted kippah, which I told him was so nice. I wore it all Shabbat. And when I left, he said, I want you to have it. You keep it. And they had very little for themselves, but what they did had, they shared. So Moshe Modim opens up, and Shlomo will be uh, based in New York, but very much uh, would come through the Moshav regularly teaching Shabbats, holidays, learning, um, that was very much part of his life. In the 1970s, the Soviet Jewry movement starts to pick up steam. Now, Rav Shlomo play, played a key role in the Soviet Jewry movement. In 1965, uh, Yaakov Birnbaum, who started 
the students struggle for Soviet Jewry, ask Rev Shlomo to compose a, uh, an anthem for this movement. Now, Rev Shlomo had heard that uh, the Soviet Jews would be rallied around the chant, Am Yisrael Chai, the Jewish people lives. And so uh, Yaakov asked him to compose a tune around this. And a few weeks later, he calls him up, he says, I have it. And the famous, Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael Chai. Uh, and then he added the second line, Oda Vinu Chai, our fathers live. The Jewish people live and our fathers live. And this is one of those songs that people often don't even realize goes back to Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. And he would take an active role in the demonstrations in New York and in going to Russia. One classic story. When he went to Russia, he would bring, as many people would, bring suitcases full of Jewish books and tefillin and Jewish Judaica. And he'd given it all out. It was the last day of his visit. And there's a knock on his door in the hotel. And he opens the door, there's this young boy there, and he you know, invites him in, and they communicate however they communicate with Yiddish or a little Russian that Shlomo knew. So the boy lets him understand it's his bar mitzvah. And he doesn't have tefillin. And Shlomo says, I, I gave away all my tefillin. And then he has an idea. He says, are you really going to keep these tefillin and wear them? And the boy promised, yes. Remember, at that time, it was against the law and dangerous. Could be thrown in jail for doing this. So Shlomo went to his suitcase, took out his father's tefillin, which had been an heirloom in the family, and gave it to this boy. It broke his heart, and he did it. And then the boy said, but I don't have a yarmulke. And he looks around again, no yarmulke. Takes the yarmulke off and gives it to the boy. And the story is that when he flew out and he's changing planes in London, they're in the airport, he sees a minion, he goes over, and he doesn't have a yarmulke. And of course, some of the other Jews there who knew of Rav Shlomo's reputation sneer at him. And, you know, when he asks, can I borrow a yarmulke? And, he's, and when one of them says, Shlomo, you don't even have a yarmulke? He says, if you only knew, if you only knew. So uh, there would be many uh, trips to Soviet Union. And in 1989, after the, Russian, after the Iron Curtain fell, he would go on a tour playing throughout Russia to revive the Jewish souls in Russia. And um, so 1980s and 1990s, Shlomo was uh, based on the Upper West Side, and as I mentioned, that's where I got to know him and got to be around him. Uh, another classic Shlomo, we're waiting for him, waiting for him, Simchat Torah. I go to the hotel, he's staying out a few blocks away, and there he is sitting on the floor with his daughters, having a power shake, getting ready for the Simchat Torah dancing. And uh, of course, an hour and a half later, I walk in with him, and the dancing starts, and there's a very beautiful custom of Shlomo had. On Simchat Torah, he'd take a pile of books onto the dance floor and put him on a chair. And he'd take this farm and he'd, each one he would give out to a different person. And he said, you know, holy brother, you need this book, this Pesach, because you're a Pesach person. You're a Hasidus person. And he would distribute the books. Uh, Shlomo's teachings. So, you know, we talk about Shlomo's chesed, his generosity and his selflessness. We talk about Rav Shlomo's music, Shlomo's Torah. And I will end with two of his Torahs, short Torahs. Uh, there's so much to say. Uh, there's so many. There are many books out on with his Torahs. There are these little pamphlets of his Torahs. Uh, Rabbi Shlomo Katz is coming out with, uh, they came out with Breshit and Shemot, the commentaries on Genesis and Exodus of Rav Shlomo. There's an amazing book called Morning in Jerusalem for Tisha B'Av, his teachings, and so many other pamphlets and uh, books available. But um, Shlomo's teachings were rooted in Hasidus, particularly Ishbitzer Hasidus, which I'm not familiar with, um, Chabad Hasidus as well. Uh, his breadth was unbelievable. As we said before, he was a 
a genius in Torah and could have become one of the leaders of Torah of the generation. And he did in his own way. And here are two Torahs. Okay. So the first one is this. And these are Shlomo's words. Now I want you to know from the deepest depths. Every person has a share in this world and a share in the world to come. The share in the world to come, that we understand. That's about the next world, about heaven. But what is a share in this world? What does that mean? Open your hearts. Having a share in this world means I know exactly what I have to do in this world. And this is a very high level because if I know that if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it, it won't happen, then I've just got to do it. This is called having a share in this world. That's the first teaching. The second one is this. Shalomo says, people walk around sad because they don't know what to do with their future. He said, but you've got this minute right now. What are you going to do with it? The difference between sadness and joy is very simple. Sadness always tells you, what am I going to do tomorrow? And the question is, I don't know, what am I going to do in 10 years? You don't know that either. So, if you're really filled with joy for one minute, then you can be with joy in the next minute also. And, of course, I don't know what to do about tomorrow because I haven't received it yet. But today is here now, and let's make the most of it. And that's what Shlomo did. And Rabbi Avram Tversky once again said that one of the great things about Shlomo, Shlomo died without a penny to his name. And they had to make a collection to pay for his funeral. This shows who Shlomo was. Have a good evening, everyone. Next week, join us for Extraordinary Jewish Personalities. We'll be talking about Hannah Shenesh, the heroine uh, who uh, combated the Nazis, Zionist who made Aliyah, and her unique story. On Sunday, we're talking about Jewish spirituality. We're talking about finding our life mission. Uh, it's also at 8 o'clock. The podcast can be found on Jewish Matters Podcast on Spotify, Apple, and Google. And have a good evening.